Welcome, and here, here. This is Here, Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Hear, hear. Cheers and enjoy. The school year had moved along. Not unlike the flow of time for parents of little kids, the days are long but the years can go quickly. Teresa was on track with her A-Push students, cruising through their units smoothly and tracking nicely toward the big week in May when they'd all sit for their AP exams. Teresa had just finished striking the set with her spring play crew, and her yearbook kids were kissing butt, especially this group of photographers this year. Teresa's heart was keeping the peace, living in the tensions of uncertainties all around. At home, John and Teresa were still in a good place. John was in the kind of job that he liked and one that paid the bills. Maybe down the line he'd switch lanes a bit or work toward a supervisory role, but for now he didn't have any big discernment to attempt professionally. Together in their marriage, he and Teresa had discerned that they wanted to try to start their family. And now, several months in, while some of the adjacent stress had abated, the result they were looking for hadn't yet come. The reset Teresa had found through their Christmas time conversation certainly helped, but they were hoping at some point that their detachment and humility could be met with the positive at-home tests they longed to see. For now the peace might have been starting to evaporate just a little, but they had been able to remain in a good and hopeful place, together. At work, the word had spread plenty that Joanne would retire at year's end. In some more businessy settings, jobs might be vacated and filled in a bit more formulaic way. At Catholic schools, the budgetary restraints, the churn of people coming and going, and the changing needs of schools and grounds and technology and educational trends, these all contribute to what is much less of a plug-and-play system. Schools are more likely to look at their budget, guess at their needs, and try to fit existing talent and a few new hires into the framework they can muster. For these reasons, it wasn't a sure bet that Teresa would even see a Director of Student Life position posted any time. Over the years at Mary Mother of God, and by talking with friends at other schools, she had seen and heard of all manner of combinations and could list out countless alternative paths they might choose. They could downgrade student life to a lead moderator stipend and recruit a full-load teacher to take it on, over the top of their teaching load. They could combine student life with another administrative area, which may or may not cloud and overwhelm the new position. Something like Dean of Students and Student Life wouldn't be unheard of, and would set up an odd juxtaposition of discipline enforcement alongside leading clubs and activities. They could incorporate it into a teacher contract by reducing that teacher's load and basically replacing one or two of their classes with this semi-administrative responsibility. Or something wild and extreme could happen, like eliminating the position and lumping the oversight into another current administrator's duties. That one would leave no path for Teresa, and it made her kind of sad to think of student activities shrinking down and becoming an afterthought. Running all these scenarios was a little therapeutic and a lot anxiety-inducing. Teresa ran the process, sat with the possible letdowns, and moved forward. 
She wanted to focus more on the people involved. In this case, it was her principal. Teachers and departmental chairs and club moderators could certainly give input on this situation with Joanne, Teresa included, but ultimately oversight of curriculum, day-to-day -day operations, and all the related hiring came down to Francis. Francis had been a teacher, then also a part-time grad student, then an assistant principal, and now a principal going on 10 years. Francis certainly remembered what it was like to be a teacher. She sympathized well with the challenges her teachers faced and was a good advocate and defender for them in interactions with students and parents. But that memory was starting to wane a bit, and Francis was becoming a bit more of an executive. She struggled to make casual rounds and do in-class observations with the departmental chairs. She would get back to most emails or requests for meetings, but she certainly didn't answer all of them. And she was an ace at asking for and getting what she needed from her teachers, but wasn't as good at reciprocating as she used to be. Francis was a principal, strengths and weaknesses alike. Happy Easter, Francis exclaimed. On this Tuesday morning, the faculty and staff were returning from a long weekend following the Easter celebration. Francis was in the lobby greeting folks. Happy Easter, Teresa replied, giving Francis a quick side hug. Teresa had successfully arrived a bit early, and before she reached the quiet of the social studies office and some fresh wit from her chairman, she was greeted by her principal. One of the things Teresa had learned professionally in her young career was that the more she could easily demonize a coworker or supervisor mentally, the more likely it was that she hadn't seen them and had a legit conversation with them in a long while. So with job reviews coming up in just a week or two, she was grateful to see her boss, to greet her happily, and to have this reminder of Francis's faith. Just before their break, Francis had done her annual washing of feet at their Holy Thursday service. Every year she volunteered herself as a foot washer and invited administrators who felt comfortable to join her in washing the feet of teachers and students and staff in their Triduum observance. Excited to talk more with you next week. I really enjoyed observing your class last month. Mike and I had a bunch of positive stuff to chew on with you, Francis said. Wow, okay, thank you, Teresa replied. Did I miss an email or... No, no, we're just setting them. Mike will loop you in, Francis noted as she started to walk toward her office. Have a great day. Teresa was simultaneously grateful and terrified to come back from the time off to such immediate news as this. She was wrapping her head around the now imminent job review meeting as she approached her desk in the departmental office. What was his name? A voice asked. Teresa shook off her haze of distant thought. Huh? She asked her as yet unidentified interrogator. The ghost you saw. What was his name? Mike clarified. Ha ha ha, Teresa flatly blurted. How are you, Teresa? She started, verbally scripting the proper way Mike could have initiated a conversation. I'm good, thanks. How are you, Mike? Well, I was fine. And then my star teacher walked in, and I was concerned for her because she had quite a look on her face. I get it. Mike cut her off moving things back to non-preposterous conversation. What's happening? Teresa stared kind of blankly. She really preferred that people check in on each other, authentically, before diving into business and barbs. She decided to accept his half-check-in as sufficient and continue the conversation. I just ran into Francis. Job reviews next week? Starting Monday. Kind of abrupt, but I felt like most of you guys would be more delighted that they're already getting scheduled than upset that it happened sort of fast, Mike explained. Francis got the ball rolling just before the long weekend, and I got us to the front of the line. We're doing prep periods Monday. Want to go first? Teresa's eyes got wide. I mean, no, but yes, absolutely, she admitted. If I were you, I'd want to go first. She's about to do reviews for dozens of teachers across dozens of departments, and I want you at the top of the pile when she's fresh and you can have a real conversation, Mike started. She really liked your last observed lesson. Very few criticisms, lots of affirmation, gushing over your creativity and facilitation. Teresa was smiling. A lot was happening all at once. 
She did the equivalent of the meme with the kids doing the low-key, yes, arm pump down at their side. And I know with Joanne retiring, you've been thinking about that job. I know you haven't said much of anything to me, but I have my instincts, Mike explained. Well, I may have floated the idea of her plucking you from social studies to put you in charge of student life. Teresa was already all ears. Mike had her attention well before this moment. This was the extra detail that turned her up to 11. There was a small part of her, that sort of courtesy principle, that was a little distantly mad that Mike had been a tad presumptuous about projecting her interest. Then there was the larger part of her that was grateful, honored, flattered, excited, giddy, and already counting down to the job review meeting to see if it would come up. Teresa's brain raced forward, scripting out different ways the meeting could unfold. Would it still be mostly about teaching and pivot at the end? Would Francis cover the teaching stuff real quick and then focus mainly on this new opportunity? Would the meeting end up only about the nitty-gritty of instruction and not even get to the potential promotion? Now, before you get too far ahead of yourself and start scripting out the review meeting, how did he know, Teresa thought. Too late, Teresa interrupted with a widely spread grin. She started to smile and then took a breath. Mike was a good colleague, a good mentor, and a good supervisor. He really did have her best interests in mind and saw her gifts and potential for all it was and could be. And part of that meant that he could anticipate some of her more troubling habits and tendencies, and he was there to calmly and compassionately try to mitigate those too. For ultimately, Mike was Teresa's work spouse. They both knew it, they both mostly avoided the term, and they both mostly appreciated the safe, professional, platonic dynamic of trust. I was about where you are now when Francis offered me the chairperson's role. I'll share with you, it did happen at my annual job review meeting, and it did happen sort of abruptly toward the end, Mike described. She's a good person, a good person of faith, but you know she's not the smoothest operator, and sometimes it's hard to sort out some of her disorganization to figure out if she's sort of pulling a trick on you. Abrupt ask, a little pressure, decrease the chance to really talk about it, or if she's just not keeping great track of herself and her time. Teresa was following along. Mike's familiar way of being deliberate and steady while leaving her little space to go where her mind and heart took her was effective. She was used to it and it brought her back to a good focus. This was all exciting, but it was happening just before the resumption of classes after a long weekend. Teresa was about to jet into a full day of teaching lethargic students and she needed to find a way to be present to this important conversation. Mike continued, I thought I had a pretty good handle on how things would go when Megan was chairperson. She didn't have any classes anymore, sometimes helped with subbing or standardized tests or AP week, but she was mainly focused on supporting us, watching and resourcing our planning and reporting and doing her supervisions. I shortchanged myself. I should have made a point of running that setup by Francis after her offer. The conversation wrapped up sort of abruptly before I got the level of assurance I wanted. I tried to schedule a follow-up, but job reviews started late that year. The admins got drowned in meetings and job postings and interviews and hiring. By the time Francis had time, the year was up, and I'd agreed to the role. I definitely wanted to do it, but I didn't get to accept on more explicit terms because I was too worried the offer would disappear. Teresa had a bit of a sinking feeling, because Mike was a pretty honest broker who didn't exaggerate much. If he was laying out this scenario, it wasn't to be hyperbolic. When last year's chairperson's meetings took place after the rest of you went home for the end of your contracts, she gave me the teaching grid for the department. Based on enrollment and the classes offered during student registration, she had me teaching two classes. I wasn't sure if she had pulled a fast one by slipping out of our first chat or if she thought I wouldn't be bothered either way, but there it was, too late to really change, Mike explained. Hiring went well and enrollment decreased a smidge, so I went down to one course, which is really fine with me. Really, I almost prefer having one rather than none, but the process was far from smooth and comfortable. 
Okay, I'll be ready, Teresa said. Her desire to organize and control things as best as possible was primed and ready, but she knew these meetings have two sides. She had no control over Francis's organization or her approach to the meeting. Teresa decided she'd try to resist the choose-your-own-adventure pre-scripting of thoughts, but she knew a little imagining was needed to prepare. How could she help facilitate an efficient review that left time for a desired offer of a promotion that may or may not come? Woo. I'll be ready, she repeated, sort of hoping it into existence. We'll get back to the book shortly, but first, sometimes at Mass, it just helps to follow along. A mini lectionary with the texts of the readings, a personal missile to follow the prayers of the Mass, or even a bulletin to track the announcements. Now, for the believer who needs even another way to follow along, there's Mass Bingo. Each card features squares that you can cover as soon as you see them at your Mass. A middle-aged or elderly man steps out of the pew and then waves his family to go up for communion ahead of him. One, two, or thirteen people in front of you sit kneel with their butts in the pew. A kid eating snacks drops food on the floor but picks it up and eats it before the parent notices. And now, the cards have been refreshed with more possible squares. Someone nearby flashes two-fingered peace signs to everyone around them. A person drops a hymnal back into the shelf seemingly as loud as they possibly can. Or, the rare but still possible incorrect response, and also with your spirit and with your, with you, your spirit. Play traditional, four corners, or even take an Easter vigil and black out the whole card. Mass bingo, making horizontal, vertical, and diagonal the new Catholic calisthenics. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook, where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Kristen Collier. Kristen tweets at KristenColly20, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-C-O-L-L-I-E-2-0. Kristen is a physician and assistant professor of medicine for the University of Michigan Medical School, where she also directs the school's program on health, spirituality, and religion. Dr. Collier has written some excellent pieces on areas where spirituality and medicine meet. Her Twitter feed is a joyful blend of family life, gardening, the great outdoors, her Catholic faith, and much more. She's a breath of accessible, relatable fresh air in your Twitter feed. Follow Dr. Collier at KristenColley20, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-C-O-L-L-I-E-2-0. The clock ticked up towards 7.40, when the flood of students was allowed to gush into all the hallways. The sanctuary quiet around the departmental office would be abruptly concluded by students charging in to make up quizzes, turn in last-minute assignments, and seek help for tests that were just hours away. Most of the other social studies teachers had arrived to their desks, and most of the department tried hard to be there for the 7.40 to 7.55 rush, before dashing to their classrooms for first period if they had it. Teresa decided today was a day to deviate and go try to extend the quiet for a few more minutes. Even if it was just to get first period situated, she wanted to reestablish the peace that had been living so strongly in her, and try not to lose it in the course of an already wild day. In an eight-period day, Teresa had to teach five periods, supervise a six-period on half the days, and then had two prep periods to keep her wits about her. Some teachers like to use prep time mostly to grade and plan, trying their hardest to keep work from crowding them at home 
perhaps at the cost of socializing with coworkers. Other teachers like to use prep time to unwind, catching up with other adults in the building and relaxing a bit, while allowing, intentionally or begrudgingly, more work to come home with them. Teresa was more of the former, but tried hard to be a mix that included more of the latter than was perhaps natural to her. This year she had three A-push classes back to back to back to start the day, and she liked that she could walk out into fourth period to grab some food and choose to plan or hang out, with the majority of her teaching already done for the day. On this particular Tuesday of classes, slogging through a full day of lecture was a must. Teresa had kept them on track to be prepared fully for the AP test, and she was certainly not going to lose pace now. Teresa had gotten through everything in her plans with third period three minutes early. She was feeling charitable and a bit tired, so she let them relax until the bell rang. She went to sit down at her desk and catch her breath. She felt today would be a good day to chat with folks during her off period and leave some work for after school or the evening. Before she could make her decision for sure, she snapped into attention as she overheard the nearest student's discussion. So you know Mrs. Simpson is leaving, right? A female student asked her friend. Yeah, she's retiring now. She's been great, but she's been here a long time. My older brother has already graduated from college, and he even had her when he was in student council here, another girl replied. They think that's a long time, Teresa thought. She's done a good job, but it'd be nice to have a younger teacher take over her job. Mrs. Simpson is just weird about social media and doesn't get a lot of our ideas. I don't think it's her fault, but it'll be interesting to have someone new instead next year, the first girl replied. The bell rang. No stimulus produces a faster response in high school students than the bell, which incites a sudden cacophony that unmistakably marks the end of a period. The students grabbed their books and backpacks in a flash, and the room began to empty so quickly. The first girl, unaware that Teresa had been listening a bit to their chat, turned to Teresa and blurted, Mrs. Akutis, you should do Mrs. Simpson's job. Before Teresa could even react, the second girl added, Yeah, you'd be great, Mrs. A. They were out the door and long gone before their words stopped pinballing around in Teresa's head. Those moments with students were always tricky, and Teresa had plenty of them over the years. On the one hand, teenagers can be amazing detectors of phoniness, knowing quickly when adults are not being totally forthcoming or authentic with them. At the same time, that emotional maturity is incomplete, and they often also throw words of praise or affirmation around recklessly. They often don't realize the magnitude of what they say, how wounding their offhand insult can be, but also how uplifting their throwaway compliments can get. Coming from two average to above average students who didn't show particularly strong affections for this history class or for her, Teresa wasn't sure whether to trust them, be skeptical of them, or just take them at face value. Then she realized now, since her three-period marathon of teaching had concluded, she was now already snapping back into an excessively analytical mode. Regardless of the intent of those young ladies, Teresa tried to just catalog it as a thoughtful, everyday affirmation. She was getting ready to vacate her classroom in favor of some casual lunch conversation when she noticed the last two students were still on their way out. It was Brad and Krista. They were the best. If teachers were allowed favorites, they'd be high on Teresa's list. In the bigger picture, the super bright kids were so fun to engage with on those very high levels of challenge and skill. The fringy kids who struggled to keep honors and AP pace offered another sort of joy in walking with them as they tried to grow and keep up. But for Teresa, it was kids like Brad and Krista who were the best. Not eggheads, but not marginal, containing some as yet unlocked or inconsistently tapped potential. Teresa loved when she could connect with these B, B- sort of students and help propel them toward A's and 4's and 5's. Brad and Krista were following that upward trajectory throughout their A-push ride and going strong toward their AP tests. Plus, they were very emotionally mature platonic friends, despite some of their mutual friends shipping, and active in Teresa's favorite clubs. 
Krista was deputy editor of the yearbook for this, her junior year, and Brad was on the cusp of taking over stage crew for next year's shows. As the rancor of passing period ramped up, Brad and Krista made a pit stop at Teresa's desk on their way to the door. They're right, you know, Mrs. A, Brad said. You would be great. You basically do a chunk of Mrs. Simpson's job already. It wouldn't mean all that much different work for you, and we already know you're great at it, Krista added. The yearbook always turns out great, and it's so well-loved by students because we actually get to make it, and you're just there to help support us. And the tech and stage crews love you because they know if they do their jobs and mostly follow the discipline code that you'll be happy. Now, Teresa couldn't help going here with them in her mind and heart. She started to pick apart their comments and compare them to what she's trying to do with the students as moderator before stopping herself from going there so hard and so fast. Nonetheless, she all at once wanted to revel in the affirmation and ask them questions about how she could approach the job and spew gratitude at them for their maturity and charity. But she also knew well that students have to be allowed to remain students. They can't be stakeholders and near-adult contributors and critical thinkers, but they can't be your friends and counselors or counselors. If she crossed paths with them four, six, eight years from now, she was confident they were the type of kids that would be fascinating conversation partners, so fun to catch up with. For now, she had to find a brief show of gratitude that let them continue to simply be great students. I really appreciate you two. Thanks for sharing that with me. I do try hard to be a good presence for and with you guys, and it means a lot to know you recognize it, Teresa said. They smiled, and then they wrapped the conversation for her before she had to figure out how to do it. See you later, Mrs. A, Brad called. Have a good day, Krista said as they left the room. Teresa was feeling it, all of it. She smiled through a deep breath and headed up to one of the faculty lounges. This one was on the top floor, sort of in between the social studies departmental office and the double-wide office that housed theology and campus ministry. The latter faculty and staff called their space the upper room. Teresa had to admit she was sort of jealous of their nickname, which was pretty good. Low-key, she called the social studies department, which to her was more of a history department, the annals and then, in a nod to wartime vocabulary, called the teacher's lounge between the departments, no man's land. The monikers didn't catch on, but in her mind, Teresa was plenty funny. Fourth period was a preferred time to snag her lunch break because campus ministry usually liked to do an early lunch before chasing down all manner of students in the cafeteria during the later lunch periods. That meant Pete and Jess were in there for sure, and on days when he was around, Father James too. Then there'd be a smattering of other teachers from social studies or theology as well as other departments. Since there was only one big table, Teresa's start a new table rule didn't apply. She simply joined the feast. Teresa, I just wanted... Pete started. He then paused, took a beat, and corrected himself. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing unusually good, Teresa said with a smirk and raised crooked brow. She appreciated how he rerouted that false start as she sat down to join them. Pete skeptically smiled, trying to unlock the mystery there. Teresa responded while he was in process. How are you doing, Pete? I am... Pete paused. Good, he declared. Good, he repeated with a happier inflection, trying to match the apparent positive mood of Teresa. I wanted to say thank you for all your letters to students on that last big retreat. I'm always jealous when Jess gets you in person for the whole fall retreat and gets your letters to boot. I mean, I'm quite grateful for your letters either way, but still, jealous. And I wanted to thank you for your help on Holy Thursday, Jess added. I'm still trying to figure out how to handle my service and ministry team. They can just get so flighty when it's time to do work, but thank God enough of your tech crew was happy to pitch in. The students will be fine. They know what the most sought-after jobs on Mass Day are. They know the preference for school day service trips goes to the kids who show up, Teresa said, affirming Jess's approach to accountability. A few of them came, and when it's time to sign up for the next big stuff, all the students know who has the inside lane on those spots. 
Teresa and Jess both knew it was an imperfect system, but they shared an affinity for accountability and for trying to use rewards to reinforce good choices, dedication, communication, prioritizing things in a busy schedule, rather than punishment to penalize the bad ones. How are you, Maria? Teresa asked, extending her pleasantries to the old veteran theology teacher a few chairs down. I am hanging in there, Maria told her. Maria had reached a point in her career where she may not really make any new lesson plans, but she always found renewed energy to be a close companion and fierce advocate for her students. Sometimes this meant being a little oversensitive and really taking students' struggles personally. This usually got couched in slightly forced optimism and left her a fairly passive conversation partner in the lounge. Just on the other side of Maria were Larry and Aaron. Larry was a crusty old history teacher, a lecturer really. He had a propensity to orate at students like a 200-level college professor, except he was a few credits shy of his master's or PhD, and his students were 15 years old. On the whole, he was harmless and a gentleman, if largely out of touch. Aaron taught a hybrid load in theology and social studies, a real no-man's-land resident. He thrived on the fully-loaded workday, prepping four different classes in two different departments and coaching cross-country and track and field with an off-season conditioning program that had built quite a reputation and following. All kinds of students would turn out for his circuit training, interval running, and communal prayer, and he had sort of built a pipeline for community life as well as athletic progress. All at once, Aaron was admirable while also being a bit of a blowhard. When you learned to take him with a bit of a grain of salt, it was interesting to have him at a round table. He also liked to stick by Larry for the old war stories from around the school and the sometimes clueless, clumsy jabs he would make at people. On this particular Tuesday, they were part of the lunch bunch. Maria sat back a bit while she crunched on her salad and played mindless games on her phone. Larry and Aaron were both consumed with Aaron's laptop screen where his daily trivia league's questions were open. They often put their heads together to try to answer the questions of the day. Teresa started to chat with Pete and Jess. So I gotta tell you guys, those three questions still come up. I know sometimes you probably feel like you prepare these faith formation presentations and wonder if anyone's even listening. It's been over six months and those questions still pop up in my head, Teresa shared, especially now with job reviews coming up. Job review for you? Mike was rubbing in our faces that he got you in first. We have to wait until all the teachers have had a turn. Then the, ahem, non-teaching faculty get our turn later, Pete grumbled, mostly jokingly but with a kernel of hurt that teaching one class didn't jump them forward in the line too. Thank you, Jess said, jumping in. What Pete meant to say is thank you. We would plan and prep carefully either way, but thank you for sharing that with us. Jess floated an eye roll in Pete's direction. And good luck with your job review. Ah, thank you. Yeah, at this very moment in six days, I'm up, Teresa said, realizing for the first time how the countdown had started ticking before she even had a chance to start it. Aaron peered up from the trivia screen. Glad I get to squeeze mine in during your guy's history block. The algae teachers are last department up, so I'm jumping the line a little bit, Aaron said. Are you nervous about anything for your chat with Francis? Teresa asked. Not really. Is there anyone else in here that is interested in four preps across two departments? I take the load no one wants, so I feel pretty indispensable, Aaron replied flatly. He was right, but the tone and presumption were quite something. What about you? You're gunning for Joanne's thing, aren't you? Ready to leave the teachers behind? Everyone elevated their attention a smidge toward Teresa. Even Larry gave a damn for a moment for the potential of some fresh palace intrigue. Ha, I'm, Teresa started. Joanne has done a great job for a long time, and it'd be really intriguing and exciting to be considered for that job. But it's a job review. I'm just trying to prepare to talk about my observations and how things have gone with APUSH this year. Teresa had come to school, weathered a short and potent news-laden conversation, taught three straight classes, and navigated some glowing compliments. 
At no point so far had she found time to think about what to say or how to say it, and now a moment had come. Yeah, yeah, I think you want it, and you can't decide whether or not to go for it, Aaron suggested. Sometimes you just have to take, not ask. There was no winter conditioning before I got involved. Now it's one of the gold standards of student life, he boasted. Between that and the runners and my teaching load, I think I've got a good hand to play. Teresa had a lot of rebuttal and retort loaded up, but she kept that powder dry. She knew better than to engage with Aaron about Aaron. I hear that, but I'm not presuming anything for myself right now, she hedged. Aaron raised his eyebrows and sort of blew it off. Larry started to turn back to the laptop screen and his scratch paper as he declared, Administrators are hacks. Just stay a teacher. You're better off. Teresa never really knew exactly how to handle Larry, and this moment was no different. Before she could even decide whether or not to transition away from the topic, Maria chimed in. Yeah, Teresa, you're a young, thoughtful, passionate teacher. You wouldn't be a good admin, and I don't think they'd offer it to you anyhow. Maria had briefly glanced up from her phone to peer over her salad toward Teresa, but Maria returned her gaze to her screen before the line had even crossed the air to Teresa's ears. Teresa blew off Larry's remark fairly easily and quickly. Maria's comment hit her harder and stung. Sure, there was a chance that Maria was just trying to be realistic or else to be authentically helpful, but that is not how it sounded coming out of her mouth. It was maybe a bit of a stretch to assign so much subtext to a comment delivered with such deadpanned indifference, but it was just that flat affect that underscored the hurt. Maria didn't realize that maybe this opportunity meant a lot to Teresa, or whether she meant to give honest analysis or benevolent advice, she sure delivered those thoughtless words with little to no tact and empathy. In the live moment, Teresa mustered a reasonably convincing nod, and maybe even an audible, hmm, but not much more. Lunchtime conversation word onward, but Jess and Pete could tell that even if she hadn't been fully gut-punched, Teresa had been knocked off her feet a little bit. They exchanged a brief knowing glance that wordlessly agreed this wasn't the time and place to stay on the jobs topic. Jess asked Teresa about AP tests, and Pete stood at the ready to propel a new conversation topic forward. Teresa engaged them honestly and animatedly, in a way more like a teacher rallying through the last period on Friday of a long week than a friend enjoying a casual break period chat. Hey everyone, this chapter is a bit longer than most of the others, so I wanted to drop in a second break and a second plug for another podcast. The NCEA Podcast from the National Catholic Educational Association. NCEA offers exceptional professional development and networking to Catholic school teachers, administrators, and ministers, and this podcast is one of the many ways they do that. I've had the blessing to work with NCEA a bit over the years, including writing a pair of books on Catholic campus ministry. Last week, I was honored to join the recently retired outgoing president, Kathy Mears, for a conversation about that second book I wrote, Exploring Faith a guide to retreat ministry with young people. It was a really enjoyable discussion, and we touch on some different areas that can help campus ministers, admins, and all of their teammates revisit and recharge their retreat ministry. So check out the NCA podcast wherever you get your podcasts to view that to hear that episode and see all the others, and visit nca.org to see my books in the store. Cultivating Faith, a guide to high school campus ministry, and Exploring Faith, a guide to retreat ministry with young people. You can also learn more about this great organization at ncea.org. All right, back to the book. (music) 
Teresa's supervision and other class periods that day got done like empty boxes that needed to be checked. She didn't like sliding into the punch clock mentality when it came to teaching, but the morning had hammered her. Teresa's heart had been pulled in so many different ways, lifted up and yanked down, that she struggled to focus and dedicate herself well for the rest of the day. After wrapping eighth period and watching her students empty out of the classroom, she remained at her classroom desk for five minutes. Her laptop was open, but only as a prop to give the appearance of work to passersby. Teresa was collecting herself, grasping toward the piece that had hung around pretty strongly up to today. In the short time, she couldn't process through the mixed student compliments, the crusty comment from Larry, and the savage dig from Maria, but she was able to find her presence again. She knew she could sit with everything if she could just get home, and the first step was reestablishing some mental calm to be able to live in the moment once more. She packed up her bag with everything she'd need to bring home and headed up to the departmental office to weigh whether or not to knock out some grading before hitting the road. As she rounded the corner toward the staircase, up from that first floor hallway, a student called out to her. Hi, Tony. How are you? Teresa stopped and asked. Hi, Mrs. Akutis. I'm okay, thanks, Tony said obligatorily. He paused, mustering energy for pleasantries. How are you? Ooh, Teresa said. It's been a day. What can I do for you? Well, Tony started, it's this practice DBQ, he explained. Teresa had assigned the students a take-home document-based question as one of the final steps to prepare for the AP exam. Teresa got a little worried about where the conversation would go because she remembered that Tony had really struggled with it. The prompt was, evaluate the extent to which the progressive movement fostered political change in the United States from 1890 to 1920. I look through the documents, I plan out my response, I feel like I wrote a strong essay, but I only earned three out of the seven points. I don't get the tough grade, Tony said. Teresa had a good poker face with students, especially when it came to grades. She was able to steel herself well and remain cordial and clear. Hopefully this strange day would not be an exception to that history. Here's the issues, Tony, she began to explain. Your thesis is solid and clear. Your evidence organization is in pretty good shape. But the seven-point rubric also needs you to contextualize your claims before you present your evidence and then bring it home with strong analysis and reasoning. You fall short of the full seven points when you don't hit all those areas completely. Plus, this assignment is not graded based on the initial seven-point evaluation. One quarter of the grade is the first draft. One quarter is turning in the second draft, so you're halfway home just for doing the pair of drafts. Then the final grade will depend on how strong your revisions are. So you really need to look at my feedback and adjust your... It just doesn't seem fair, Tony cut in. I see students around me getting back five, sixes, and sevens on their first drafts, and here I am with a three and a ton of work to do, and I think mine is just as good as theirs. I understand that you're upset. You've put significant work into this, and it didn't come back with the grade you were hoping for. But remember, the three isn't your final grade on this. I know Brad and Krista did just fine on their first drafts, but that doesn't surprise me since they're so involved with your clubs. I feel like maybe if I was just taking pictures for a yearbook, I'd get a six or seven, Tony alleged. Teresa was holding her veneer of calm respect, but underneath that, his comments were wounding her. She held it together to say, Tony, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I promise you that I grade based on the rubric and the work of the student. If you want me to look through your draft again and sit with you to review the comments, you're welcome to set an appointment or visit the department office before or after school. Yeah, okay, sure, I'll think about it, Tony said dismissively, in a way that didn't seem like he'd think about it. He turned to walk away. He did not say goodbye or thank you. He marched right up to his friends to chat. As Teresa turned the opposite direction and passed through a doorway toward the stairwell, she overheard Tony tell his friends, Mrs. A is a real a-hole. She kept walking and held her poker face, but the floodgates were open in her mind. Oh, real original. Haven't heard that joke since I changed my name. Yep, I definitely pick on you, Tony. 
not like I've sat with you to assemble enough of an essay to get you to a B- before. And I certainly have favorites. Krista is a terrible writer, but I give her A's anyway. Brad never reads or participates, but pass him right along. Yeah, right. She stopped after half a flight of stairs. She took a quick peek at her bag. Everything was in there. She left nothing at her department desk today. So she U-turned back down the stairs and just walked straight out to her car. No grading today. Time to go home. Teresa climbed into her car, dropped her bag on the seat, and loaded up her go-to music streaming playlist. It was a 20-minute drive home. She planned to do zero thinking, at least for those 20 minutes. She sent John a quick text to forewarn him of her tough day, her impending reflection, and her potential volatility. Then she backed out of her spot and started the drive. It mostly worked. The music nudged her back toward a calm place she needed to reach before she could sort through everything that spilled into her life that day. She kept her playlist going as she walked inside her home, where she connected it onto the Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom and invited the steam and heat of a good shower to finish calming her down. After 15 minutes, she was ready to try and move on. The next steps were some comfortable clothes, a cold beer, and a fresh page in her journal. As she put the bottle opener away and sipped a first taste of a crafty white ale, her phone buzzed. She grabbed it to look at the texts. It was Mike. Teresa hadn't seen him or talked to him since before school and wondered what was up. That kid Tony is an a-hole, she read in the first new text. Mike was the kind of person who sent ten short texts rather than one long, rather than one, long one. And he's dumb to boot, the next one said. Now Teresa was waiting on the magical three dots to unveil the rest of the story in real time. Here it came. I was at the opposite end of the hallway. I had just scheduled some appointments for all of you with Francis. I saw you walk away from the confrontation from afar, and it didn't look great. As I got closer, I heard him curse, she read. More dots. Another buzz. He'll be presenting his parents with a detention slip to sign in return, the last text said. Teresa was sort of speechless. She felt like most teachers who saw a student venting to friends by using vulgarity would intervene, especially if it was directed at a teacher or a peer. But the fact that it was Mike who caught him really consoled her. It was the umpteenth piece of evidence that he always had her back. Sorry you had to deal with that. I told him I can only make him serve detention, but I can't make him apologize. That part will be up to him. No more dots. Mike had said his piece. Teresa took it in for a second. She was the sort of teacher who saw and heard everything, but maybe didn't respond with discipline every time. Teresa tried to choose her moments when she needed to make a greater point, teach a heavier lesson, or have a confrontational conversation. The teacher eyes in the back of her head were biased by her heightened emotions, but she imagined this moment of poor judgment by Tony was probably a no-brainer to Mike. Nonetheless, it helped cement her rediscovered calm. She needed to text back. Thanks, Mike. You're the best. Thanks for having my back, she typed and sent. It was quite a day. Grateful for how you started me off, and I have a lot of food for thought from that and from the rest of the day. Talk to you tomorrow. Teresa stopped, wondering if she should leave it at that. Hmm. She indeed pressed send. Mike was a great conversation partner, but he was best when utilized properly. First, she needed time with herself, time with God, and time with John to get a handle on things. She grabbed her pen, closed her eyes for a brief prayer, and got to journaling. Her phone buzzed once more as Mike thumbs up her text. No reply yet from John, but that didn't worry her. For the next 15 minutes, she dumped her mind out. First some blow-by-blow of the day, then some quick hits of emotional up-and-downs, and then the questions. How do I approach this job review? Do I want to actively express my interest? Am I really cut out for it? Do I play favorites or treat students unequally? Though she had found a calm and peace, it didn't mean the feelings of inadequacy and doubt had dissipated. She wrote until she heard the door open. It was John. He was about half an hour later than usual, but that didn't worry her. Wings? Fries? Ranch? 
hugs? John asked rhetorically. Teresa smiled and leapt up to hug him. He held her close and tight for an extra beat. John plopped some takeout bags on the coffee table and kissed her on the cheek before going to change. Teresa ripped into the bags and containers and laid out the food speedily. She nibbled on fries while John changed, and when he returned, they prayed a grace and crunched into some wings. Without even a word of negotiations, John kicked back and scrolled on his phone while Teresa continued to write. They each chipped away at their food, but neither felt the need to talk yet. At a certain point, Teresa stopped writing. She surveyed her page, gave it a minimal level of approval, and handed the notebook to John. He started reading while she took a bathroom break for a few minutes. When she came back, she grabbed a few fries, smothered them in ranch dressing, and asked, So, what do you think? And she popped them into her mouth. First of all, woof, John started with an emoji-esque open mouth and eyebrow raise. That was a day. Glad you found your way toward calm after leaving work. Crazy to think it's Tuesday, not Friday, and there's three days to go this week. Maybe call him sick tomorrow, John asked, half-jokingly. Teresa tilted her head and smirked, as if actually considering it. Ultimately, she'd go into work. The last thing she wanted was any appearance that anyone's comments or actions had negatively impacted her. Secondly, so glad you took some time for gathering yourself in those moments at the end of the day when you got home. Good to juggle some unplugging and some processing. Even if the piece is getting aggravated, it's still there underneath, and I love how you can reclaim and establish it, John said. Teresa was still a bit too much on edge to really relish the caliber of that compliment, but inside, she did deeply appreciate John's companionship and earnest love. And then, yeah, this is some shitty stuff. I'm sorry people did and said these things, and I'm not sure if it's worse to do without knowing the hurtful impact or to do it with pretty full awareness that it's hurtful. Either way, yuck, John declared. For a minute, let's set aside this bonehead kid from after school. I'm more interested right now in celebrating these affirmations. From your boss, from your supervisor, from your students, wow. And then wondering why you have so much more written about these digs than the compliments. If you're keeping score at home, and I guess I am here at home and about to tally it up, this looks like three, really four or five compliments versus two, maybe three teardowns. You got some real uplift from Francis, then Mike, then two sets of students, then really Mike again when he busted that kid. You got ripdowns from Maria, and I guess sort of Larry, and then this bonehead Tony, but it's those digs that seem to really have overshadowed the good stuff. Yeah, I guess so. That's what came out when I relaxed to write, Teresa acknowledged. That's just the real processing that happened. Well, I'm not going to act like Duke over here, but I know you've explored this a little with him. Are you getting screw taped? John asked. Uh-oh. Teresa remembered that spiritual direction well. She had gotten a copy of the book. She read the first few sections, but hadn't picked it up in a few weeks. She remembered the gist of Duke's suggestion and challenge, but she hadn't really grasped the idea all the way yet. And wait a second. What does John know about screw taping? Do you know what screw taping is? She asked him. I've read a few spiritual works in my day, John contested. I had some friends in college who loved Lewis and turned me on to his stuff. Screw tape went down real easy, and it resonated with some of the ways I've been prone to self-doubt. And I gotta say, having reread a few chapters these past few weeks, Teresa's mouth dropped agape a little at John, who was not really slick enough to pull off major surprises, but apparently could read some chapters of her new spiritual reading book in a fairly clandestine way. I think old Wormwood is pointing your nose towards stuff that stinks and getting you to underplay these affirmations. Teresa was impressed and consoled. God love her husband. He wasn't the most spiritual guy or blessed with the greatest soft skills, but damn if he couldn't sit with her, jam on life, and dig down to the good stuff that could really help her thrive. I think you're right, Teresa replied, nodding with wide eyes. I know Larry is a crusty old teacher without much self-awareness. I know Maria doesn't think about what she says and how she comes off. I know Tony is an immature teenager. 
I know that the hurt can be real, but the retention doesn't have to be this strong. You do, and I know you know, John replied, and you needed to know that I knew you knew. He busted out laughing. He couldn't help it. She smacked him in the arm moderately hard as she gathered herself. But it's the good stuff that I need to be better about embracing. I know those emotions of joy and excitement and intrigue are just as real, and I need to retain the impact of those better. I know I need to discern from a place of joy and grace, not one of anger and hurt. I think I spent enough time today living in the hurt that I can move on from it. But I didn't spend enough time celebrating the joy and letting it lift me and inform my heart and mind. She smiled at John. He was grinning knowingly, glad he was on the right track with how he hoped he could put her back together a little bit. And he was delighted that carry-out was the right call tonight. She locked in on his grin and then looked upward and half-shouted while shaking her fist. Damn you, Wormwood! Oops, I guess I should be looking downward. Damn you, but her second cursed shout was truncated by a projectile throw pillow hitting her in the face. She threw it back at John and got up to grab another pair of beers. Teresa cracked the bottles open while John pulled up their current bingey show. There would be no grading tonight. That meant an early alarm for Teresa tomorrow morning, but as she settled onto the couch and cozied up with John, she was not about to move anywhere or do anything else. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, hear. The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.